right, so we are closing out the, the series on the Ten Commandments. Um, this this is, um, if we can put uh, the chart up on, on, um, on the commandments. We've been going through these one by one. And over on the, obviously over on the left are the commandments themselves. Over on the right is kind of how they're broken out. And, and we can see right away when we're looking at this, you know, these are in the mind of Jesus when he says that all of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. And we see the top is our relationship with God, loving God with all that we are and surrendering. And so the first, the first set re- re- refer to that. And then the bottom set is loving your neighbor as yourself, bestowing the right to be uh, uh, an imager of God onto others, lear- learning to love others. Um, and that's the, 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 second, the second set. And in the middle is this transition, this transition that literally takes us from creation to a new nation to being a new creation in Christ through entering into his rest. And and we've we've looked through these. We've God. Uh, uh, we understand that God spoke these directly. These weren't something that Moses wrote down and gave us face to face from God. These weren't visions or dreams from the prophets. These weren't the work of poetry uh, from from uh, King David. These were spoken directly by God and written by God on stone, permanent. Uh, which is fascinating to me because it, it tells two things. Stone one. It talks about its permanence, but stone too, the Bible says our hearts, the human heart is stone and needs to turn to flesh. And God's literally writing his law in our heart, and that's the new covenant. That's the new covenant. So he writes it on stone, and there's two of them. Why? One for heaven, one for earth, so that we, we have this covenant that is in both places that God wants to relate to a covenant people. He wants to restore the creation mandate. We were created to be his imagers. We were created to be in relationship with him. We were created to love him and be loved by him, and therefore to love one another. And so it all starts in covenant relationship. If you notice, Israel is, is, is delivered mightily, powerfully out of Egypt. The, 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 the plagues that go on, the words that come from Moses, the sign after sign, God demonstrating his power, them going through the Red Sea. Notice, when they go through the Red Sea, how did they go through? By God's grace, he opens up the walls of water. And you know what it took to go through? Faith. How many of you know it took faith to walk through two walls of water? Yes. And by the way, if you did not walk through by grace through faith, you were destroyed. Pharaoh and the Egyptian army. And so Israel enters into this faith relationship by God's grace. And then God gives them, this is how you live it out. This is how you live grateful to it. This is how you express it between you and me. This is how you express it to one another. He gives the commandments. Not as a means for salvation, but as the result to express the salvation he's granted. And then, so, so therefore, everything about it is about the heart. About the heart. It's not a means to get to God. It's a means to demonstrate a heart that responds to the salvation God has given. That's the Ten Commandments. And so this morning, what I would submit to you, the law is spiritual to change the heart. The law is spiritual to change the heart. And what we're going to look at, we're going to look at three, uh, three rules, if you will, three ways that we can apply 
these commandments to our lives. We've been studying them. We know what each one are. You can go back. There's, there's lots of materials out there to, to, to look at them uh, and see them. What, what I really want to focus on this morning is let's just take some time to say, what are the overall ways we can take these things that express both the mission we have to reach others and the relationship we have with God. That's what these commandments do, right? Isn't that what Jesus said? All authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go into all the world, uh, making disciples, teaching them what? To do all that I have commanded. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. These commandments, when we live them, live out the very mission he has given us. And then he says what? For lo, I am with you even to the ends of the earth. They're the blessing. They're both the blessing in our lives and the mission we live. So I thought it would be really good if we focused on three ways that we can apply these in our lives. Three ways. So... The law is spiritual to change the heart. Jesus was teaching in, in the, in the, uh, um, the mountain, the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, most of us have heard the Beatitudes before. I'm going to start right after that. He said this. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt lost its taste, how shall, how shall its saltiness be restored? You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is not good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It's fascinating to me what he's saying here, because he's not saying, I'm the salt of the world. He's saying, you are. He's saying, we are the salt of the world. So if the world is going to see the saltiness of God, he's going to see it through us. Now, it's, you know, a lot of people have commented, how can salt lose its saltiness? It can't, you know, chemically, it can't. Yeah, it can. Very easy how salt loses its saltiness. Very easy. It just becomes corrupted. It just becomes filled with impurity. When it's filled with impurity, you don't taste it anymore. And so he goes on and he says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp, put it under a basket, but on a stand, and, gives, and it gives light to all the house. Once again, this is fascinating to me because, you know, we've always heard Jesus is the light of the world, right? Jesus is the light of the world. Well, he is, but guess what? He wants to shine through you and me. Jesus is the light of the world, but Jesus just said you and I are the light of the world. If the world is going to see hope, guess where it's going to see it? Through the light. And who's that light? You and I are, if you ask Jesus. So in the same way, let your light let, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. When we live out in obedience to God, his law, guess what we do? We shine his light. When we lift others up, we shine his light. Now, this is what Jesus said. He said this. He says, don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. So what's the one thing we're not to think? Do I? Yeah, everybody's kind of shy this morning. They were not <laughs> we're not to think that Jesus came to abolish the law of the prophets. He goes on and he says, I have not come to abolish them. So what did Jesus not come to do? Abolish them, but to fulfill them. Now, I've heard over and over people say, well, you know, well, uh, you know he didn't abolish them. He just fulfilled them. Well, what does fulfill mean? Well, fulfill means he got rid of them. That means abolish, doesn't it? Hmm. 
If he got rid of them, he abolished them. I would submit to you that's not what fulfill means. What fulfill means is he came to teach us how to live them to the fullest. That's what fulfill means. Fulfill means to live them to their fullest. Listen to what he says. He says, don't think I have come to abolish them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Let me ask a question. Have heaven and earth passed away? Uh, So if you're sitting here, can you say heaven and earth have passed away? Has everything been accomplished? Uh, I think he's yet to return. So what he just said is not a, not, a, not a yod, not a jot, not a tittle, not the smallest part of a crown of a letter has been abolished. Nothing. He says, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the scribes and the Pharisees, these were the the ones who were, like, being scrupulous to make sure they did everything to the letter of the law. These were the ones that were going back and reading it carefully and making sure they were doing everything that they could dot their I's and cross their T's. And Jesus is saying that unless your righteousness goes past that, your righteousness is not good enough for God's kingdom. Whoa. He says, now, now let me address something because a lot of people wonder, well, you know, I mean, if, they, if none of them gone away, I mean, d- does that mean we have to do all of them all? Let me, let me put it this way. Okay. Are there any dog catchers in the room? Anybody a dog catcher? How many know that dog catchers are actually law enforcement officers in the state of Texas? (laughs) Yeah, okay. So no dog catchers? How many know that there are laws in the books for dog catchers? So how how many of you are really concerned about the laws on the books for dog catchers? Anybody? How many even think about the laws on the books for dog catchers? Yet are they on the books? Are they existing? Does it exist for someone? Yes. But they don't apply to you and I. What we are concerned with is those things that do apply to our lives. So there, there are things like there's no more temple. And, and there are things like Acts 15 that talks about the, our relationship uh, uh, to the word of God. So, but the, the point being is that we don't take the first half of our Bible and throw them out because Jesus gave us the second half. We live by grace through faith from the beginning to the end. And the way we live that is beyond the righteousness of the Pharisees. Now, what does that mean? Well, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, and he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Now, what's fascinating about this verse is that that there is no law to tithe mint and cumin and dill. There's no law. So what did they do? They looked at the scriptures. They extrapolated a principle. There's a principle of tithing. So we're going to not just tithe what the Bible tells us. We're going to tithe everything. And Jesus said, good, good. But it also has to come from here. You need to be living just towards people. You need to be living merciful. You need to be faithful. You have spent so much time working on the letter, you missed the heart. You missed the heart. You blind guys straining out a gnat and and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. So, 
I've heard people say to me over and over again, you know, when they're studying the Word of God, what's God want me to do? What's God want me to do? What's God? Look, we study the Scriptures so we understand there are behaviors that are appropriate and behaviors that aren't. But it's not about the outward behaviors. It's about the inward heart. It's about that heart that says, I want to take what's in the letter and discover the Spirit. I want to take what's in the letter and discover the Spirit. And so there are three things I'm going to give you. Number one, God gave his commandments to reach the human heart. Number two, more is intended than is spoken. And number three, if sin is forbidden, if a sin is forbidden, then making an occasion for sin is forbidden. So I'm borrowing these, by the way. These are, um, as I was studying through all of this, there's a fantastic article in the Dictionary for Theological Terms. And I'm just saying that up front because I always like to give credit for my sources. Um, and from what work I've got from other scholars, and they, they had like seven rules in there. They were fantastic. If you ever get a hold on it, read it. But these three jumped out at me. Why? Because if we grab a hold of them, they will help us to literally apply God's life from our heart and not just from our head. God's laws. All right, so let's look at the first one. God gave his commandments to reach the human heart. The law is spiritual. Paul says this in Romans. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. What did Paul say? The law is what? Spiritual. Now, most of us don't think of the law that way. Most of us think of the, the law is bad. The law is old. You know, the law is, you know, uh, ju- um, um, uh, um, uh, or it works. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He says it's holy. It's good. It's just. It reveals the character and nature of God. In its essence, it's spiritual. The problem isn't the law. The problem is my heart. That's the problem. So if I come to the law of God, understanding that my problem is the heart, let it highlight what's going on in my heart. And how does it do that? Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. The commandments require not only outward actions, but inward affection. Where's your affection? Are we doing because we, we're, I, I, somebody told me this one time, actually told me this. Look, all God wants is just one hour a week, then I can do what I want, right? I, I mean, look, I, you know, I, I, I pay my tithes, I, I go to church, you know, I'm a decent person. That's all God wants, then I get to do what I want, right? Where's your affection, the psalmist is asking. So Jeremiah says this. Now, I'm, this is a setup for us. He says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. Notice what he's saying there. If we want blessing in our lives, I'm not only trusting in him. In other words, calling out to God for the the needs that I have and, 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 and the life that I have. But I'm trusting him. I'm blessed because I'm trusting that relationship. And then he says this. He says, he is like a tree planted by water that sends, sends out its, that sends out its roots by the stream. And does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The the Bible uses these metaphors, these word pictures to help us understand the truths they're talking about. He's saying this, look, look, picture a tree and it's by a stream. And here's a stream and it's got water in it. And the roots are going down and being fed. Can you see the roots of the tree? How many can see the roots? You can't. Now, outwardly, the tree is going to experience drought. There's now no water, and everything around it is dying. But is the tree dying? No. Why? Because it has roots coming into the water. 
What he's saying is this. He's saying when you're trusting in the Lord, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. It doesn't matter what drought you're experiencing. Where, when your heart, your affections are turned towards him, it's what strengthens you and enables you to go through what, whatever drought, whatever trials you're experiencing. And then he says this right afterwards. He says, he says, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Just the human heart is desperately. How many have heard? How many have heard this? We've uh, we've talked about this before. People say this all the time. Oh, just trust your heart. Trust your heart. You need to make a choice and a decision. Trust your heart. No, trust the Lord. Trust the Lord, which means which means you have to test your heart. Test your heart. If the law of God is meant to be a heart experience, then we should be looking at God's word and comparing our heart to it to test it. Listen to what Jeremiah says. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Catch what he's saying. He's not testing our deeds to give to us. It's not earning something. He's testing our heart. Where's your affection? He's saying, I have provided my grace. Here's rivers of living water. How many are trusting in my grace? I'm testing your heart. And how do I know? Because it will show itself outwardly. It will be demonstrated outwardly, the Lord says. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, in all your might. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. The, the, the greatest commandment, Jesus says, the number one commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I may have heard messages and sermons where we try to break, well, this is your heart, and this is your soul, and this is your strength. I mean, I know I've taught on it that way. And, and it's not bad, it's not bad, but we're missing the point. What it's saying, what it's saying is this, very simply. When it says, hero Israel, it's like, listen, guys, listen. Hey, listen up. That's what hero Israel means. Listen up. Yahweh, our God, Yahweh's one. Surrender everything to him. Surrender everything to him. What I'm commanding you today is that this should be on your heart. All these commandments, they're about your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. You shall walk when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. How many of us can honestly say the word of God, our relationship with God is on our mind when we wake up, when we're walking, when we're with our children, when we're with our friends. Because that goes all the way back to the book of Deuteronomy. The law of God is to expose our heart. It's about walking in our heart. He says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There were those that, that take, literally take this so literally. They put, they put things on their doorposts. Go to Masuza on their doorposts. They have uh, phylacteries. There's things that they actually put on their foreheads and their hands. But what does it mean? 
What, when I'm putting it on my hands, it's what I'm doing. It's how I'm treating others. It's how I'm acting. Am I lifting holy hands? It's my works towards others. When I'm putting it between my eyes, it's what am I focusing on? Where is my affection? For this is the covenant that I have made. Oh, hang on. All right. So what is Jesus? How do we, how do we approach the word of God from our heart? You need to recognize that Jesus changed your heart. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Did you catch that last part? What did Ezekiel just say? What God does is he literally takes out our heart of flesh. I mean a heart of stone. He removes it. And then he comes and he puts a new heart in us, a heart of flesh. And then he comes and dwells in us by the power of his spirit. Now, he tells us why he does all that. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, how many of us heard we get a new spirit when we come to Christ? Anybody? How many know that when you come to Christ, you're changed, you're transformed, you're made new, you're a new creation, you're born again? How many know that? How many know that God did that so you can walk in his ways? Not just so you can get to heaven. It's not about getting to heaven. It's about heaven getting to you. Jeremiah, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Can you, listen, don't listen to this as something academic, something you've read a a thousand times. Listen to it as the heart cry of God. What does he desire? He desires that these words he's preserved for us would get in here so they come out here. I have a new covenant, a new covenant to offer you. I'm pouring out my spirit on all flesh so that, so that what I have given you can get in here and come out there. Therefore, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. You have been made a new creation in Christ, period. That's where we start. We don't start to try to get to a new creation. We become a new creation and then begin to live it. All right, so number two. Number one, God gave us his commandments to reach the human heart. Number two, more is intended than is spoken. More is intended than is spoken. So what's really fascinating, if you were to look at the Ten Commandments in the book of Deuteronomy, Scholars have pointed this out. It's, it's really cool. It's, like, it's literally like a table of contents. You can go down each commandment, and then you can go to a section in Deuteronomy and see where God expands out on every single one of them. So we, we look at these, and we go, well, they're kind of sparse. Is that really like the foundation of everything? How many know God means a whole lot more than what he just says on those ten things? That's exactly right. Now, um, uh, Paul writes this in Corinthians. He says, who has made us to be sufficient ministers of the new covenant? We are, we are created to be ministers of this covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the spirit kills, but the, but the spirit gives life. And so here's the point. 
What's intended is that the law of spiritual, there's more behind it. It's that we absorb it, we soak it in, and we let the Spirit of God expand what that all means. Now, let me give you an illustration. I think this is probably uh, one of the best illustrations I could think of. Let's see how it works. When my kids were little, how many know that kids are very technical? In other words, if you say something to a kid, the kids are listening very carefully to what you're saying so they could know their ba- the boundaries that they have. How many know that that's, how many were a kid like that? In other words, this is the way I was, right, when I was a teenager. My father would say, here's the line. And I go, right there? Oops. Oop, got to hurry up. But you, how many have heard this from their kids? But you said, let me have heard that. Okay, so let me tell you exactly. I'm well aware that this is what kids do. I was well aware of it when my kids were little. So um, this is exactly what we said to our kids. I say, listen, guys, here's the way the rule works. It's the spirit of it, not the letter of it. If we tell you something and you even think there's a possibility we meant something else, that's included. You're not going to come back to me and go, but you said. That won't fly. That won't work because you knew what we meant. It worked too. <laughs> My kids, they tried, They tested, right? You know, they, oh, but, you know, nah, 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 nah. you know what I meant. You see, this is the point. If we're sitting here looking at the Ten Commandments going, well, you know, this is how far, that's not the point. There's more there than what's intended. If we're going to apply these to our lives, we need to absorb them. What did you mean by this, God? What's this, how does this expand out that I can bless others? So um, uh, here's the thing. We don't get to rationalize the pleasing of our flesh. We don't get, see, that's what we got to be careful of. We can look at the word of God and we can ask where the line is. Why? Why are we even asking that question? Well, because I want to please my flesh. I want to do what I want. And if I know where God's lines is, then I can stop where God is and my flesh can go like that. But I'm behind the line, God. You see, we don't, walking this thing out is not about trying to find a way to please our flesh and get around the word of God. So if something is commanded, the opposite is forbidden. If God commands something, the opposite is forbidden. Uh, Exodus 20 says what? Honor your father and mother. Your days, that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God has given you. This is an example. So what's it say? We're to honor our father and mother. What does that imply? If, 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 the, if that's commanded, the opposite is forbidden. What does that imply? Father and mother are parents. Parents are married. That means marriage is a man and a woman. If it's commanded, the opposite is forbidden. What does it also mean? It means a man is a man, is a woman is a woman. If it's commanded, it means the opposite is forbidden. You don't have to say explicitly, not this, not that, not this, not that. That's kids who are trying to be technical. It's quiet. It also implies that we're honoring our parents not only when we're in their house. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with everything. And sometimes there are legitimate ways, but that does mean we never dishonor them. 
That means that continues for all of life. I know for some of us, there's a lot of pain and there's a lot of hurt there. Ways that you can honor is to be Jesus to them. Ways that you can honor is to bring forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation. All right. If something is forbidden, the opposite is commanded. So we looked at if something's commanded, the opposite is forbidden. If something is forbidden, the opposite is commanded. You shall not, this is Exodus, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Um, so what, what does that mean? It, it, what it means is I, uh, the command to not take the name's Lord in vain means my life needs to reverence him. It doesn't mean, well, you know, I didn't say any swear words this week, God, so I, you know, I'm good on that one. Scored, got one. No, the fact that it's forbidden means I should be living in a way that reverences him. I should be living in a way that demonstrates him. I should be living in a way that honors him. That's what it means. There's more than what's, in, uh, more than what's spoken. More is intended than what is spoken. Um, there's a story of the rich young ruler and... Uh, what I would submit to you is that what these commandments actually intend is the full surrender of our lives, our lives to be surrendered to him. Why? So that we could receive life to its fullness. And there's the story of the rich young ruler. How many are familiar with the rich young ruler? Anybody? So he, um, he comes up to Jesus one day and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And, and how many are, um, understand that that desire from humanity to want to know what I do. What do I do? What do I do? And what does Jesus say? He says, um, um, why do you ask me what is good? There's only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. Fascinating Jesus' response. You want to enter life, keep the commandments. Does Jesus, is Jesus saying you want to enter life, it's through the deeds that you do? No, it's not. What he's demonstrating is these are from the heart. This was point one. When you're keeping them, you're living from your heart. Your heart is circumcised. What did he say? He said to him, which ones? And Jesus answered, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, he goes through, you know, over half the commandments here, right? The young man says, I've done all these. I've kept them all. What do I lack? And Jesus says, okay, you want to be perfect? Go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Now, somebody's sitting here going, where's that in the Ten Commandments? It's very simple. I am the Lord your God who has brought you out of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. More is intended than what's said. More is intended than what's said. Oh, but Lord, I haven't lied today. I haven't stolen today. I haven't cheated today. But any minute, I'm about ready to get out of bed, and I'm going to need your help. It's not about what we haven't done. It's about where our heart is. And what does Jesus highlight? He highlights that he has a God that isn't the Lord. He has a God that isn't the Lord. And so the young man heard this and he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. What what the scripture is saying, the young man heard this and he went away sorrowful for he had a God bigger than God. He had a God more important than God. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, there's, some, there's a teaching out there that says, well, that, that was like a camel getting down on its knees going through the needle gate. There's actually no needle gate, and there never was a needle gate. It really means a full-size camel going through. It's, it's a Hebrew idiom that, that's meant to be ridiculous. There's no way a full-size camel can go through the eye of a needle. In the same way, the human heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. This is as easier for a rich man. It's easier for that camel to get through there than it is for a rich man. And so the disciples rightly say, well, who in the world can be saved? And Jesus looks at him and says, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Salvation comes by grace. It's God's grace. And by his grace, we turn our heart to him to allow him to do in us what we cannot do for ourselves. Then Peter said in reply, see, we left everything and followed you. What, what then will we have? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses and brothers and sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What's What's he saying here? He's saying, listen, we don't leave anything for God. There is no way you will outbless God in your lives. We may have temporary difficulty. We may have temporary loss. We may have temporary uh, discomfort. But there is no way we outbless the kingdom of God. The only question is, is where is your heart? So the last one, and we'll close out with this, is if sin is forbidden, then making an occasion for sin is forbidden. Paul says, listen, we're, we're to, to abstain from every form of evil. The old King James used to say, avoid the very, or still says, avoid the very appearance of evil. Anybody heard that before? Avoid what even looks like evil. And so we come back to Matthew, and we're closing out with this, where we started in Matthew. And, and, and Jesus is telling us, he, he said what? He says, listen, I, I didn't come to abolish these. I came to explain them to their fullness exactly what they meant. And what they mean is that you're not just trying to avoid the things it says to avoid. You're literally trying to live in a way that you avoid it from the heart. You avoid the very occasion. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. Whoever says you fool will be liable to the hellfire. So if you, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. What's Jesus saying? By calling your neighbor a fool, by, calling, by, by holding on to anger against your neighbor, you're actually assassinating that person's character. You're actually assassinating the image of God in them. You are committing a form of murder. You have made way for murder itself in your life. You don't think so? I'm going to tell you right now, guys, this is super serious. We're closing out with this. This is super serious. The last thing Christians should be involved in is this thing that we do in society called canceling people. The spirit behind canceling is the spirit of murder. The only difference between the spirit 
of canceling someone, canceling someone's reputation, causing them to lose their job, to lose their friends, to lose all of their associates. The only difference between that person and what they did, what they're doing in communist countries and other places where they're persecuting people is power. Because I promise you, if that spirit was let loose with power, it would be doing the same thing. This is very serious. We literally need to avoid the very occasion of it. Because opening up the occasion is what leads us into it. It says, agree with your accuser. The way out of it is to what? To admit, God, I'm feeling angry. God, this, fe- this person's like a fool. And telling God about it, agreeing that this is going on and confessing to him and letting him remove it. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. But I say that to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one member than for your whole body to be thrown in hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What's Jesus saying here? Is he, is, he, is he not able to make a differentiation between greater and lesser sin? Yes, he can make it. What he's saying is lust leads to adultery. And what he's saying is the way you deal with it is by cutting it off at the root, at the source. Did he literally mean to cut his hand off and throw it or poke it out? No, it's an it's idiomatic way of saying. What is he saying? And I'm going to boil it down to this again as we close. Do whatever it takes to be free. Whatever it takes. Get a proper understanding of who you are in Jesus. That's not your identity. That's not who you are. Get a proper understanding of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Lord, you have enabled me and equipped me to be able to overcome this. How many have heard Renew Your Mind? I've got a, I I watched a video this past week. This was fascinating to me, and I've been literally doing it since I've watched it. And I I was like, I, I wish I knew this 50 years ago. Oops, did I say that? You can overcome temptation in 60 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds. When a thought comes through your mind, you're only 30 to 60 seconds away from freedom. You're only 30 to 60 seconds away from freedom. When an evil thought comes into your mind, if you can just go, and this is what I've been doing, Lord, 30 seconds, 30 seconds, I'm just trusting you. I'm just going to let that float on through, 60 seconds. And it's amazing, it just goes away. It just goes away. I'm renewing my mind. I'm bringing it back to him. I'm letting it float right on through and out. I am coming back to him in a personal relationship with him. I'm allowing the Holy Spirit to help me catch it in the moment. And guess what happens 10 minutes later when the thought comes back in? I do the same thing. Do the same thing. Worrying about something, anxious about something. I'm anxious about something right now, Lord. I'm just going to let it float through. Let it float through. 30 to 60 seconds. Renew your mind. Have the word of God in your mind. Have the spirit of God in your mind. Music. Listen to Christian music. Studying. Teachings. Form accountability relationships. If you don't have an accountability relationship in your life, you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life. You are missing out on what God wants to do in your life. Someone that you can go to and talk about everything that's happening in your life who's not going to judge you and you're not going to judge them and you can pray for one another and lift one another up. 
Do whatever it takes to change your habits. Look at your behavior. Look at the patterns. I, I, you know, take this seriously. Lord, I, I, I keep doing this over and over and over again. I don't want this in my life anymore. Examine what's going on in your life and why it's there. And figure it out. See, it's not about I failed and now, oh, Lord, I'm a failure. It's about, listen, I want to walk from my heart and therefore I need your help, Lord. Let's work on this until I get there. Finally, don't give up. John Wesley's mother uh, was in a letter to John in 1725. Asked him, was answering a, a question John has, is what is sin? What is sin? And she said this, whatever weakens your reason, whatever impairs the tenderness of your conscience, whatever obscures your sense of God, whatever takes off your relish for spiritual things, whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Notice it wasn't about a rule. It's not a rule. It's not about, I didn't do this or I did do that. It's about the heart. Is there anything in your heart that's keeping you from the purity of God? To escape it, we don't focus on it, we focus on him. And he changes us. Archbishop William Temple says, to worship is to quicken the conscience by the holiness of God. So I allow my conscience to be quickened when I dwell in the holiness of God. To feed my mind with the truth of God. To purge the imagination by the beauty of God. So many of our imaginations are, are filled with the beauty of the world. Purge it with the beauty of God. To open the heart to the love of God and to devote the will to the purpose of God. That's to worship. So the law is spiritual. God gave it to us to change our heart. Seven. Rule number one, God gave his commandments to reach the human heart. That's why he's given them to us. Number two, there's more there than what's spoken. Number three, if sin is forbidden, then making an occasion for it is forbidden. Do everything in your lives to get it out, to demonstrate that he has changed your heart. Amen.